This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System, L-I-V-E Live. Cartland Gay alongside Scott Rafferty across the NBA Global Networks. We are a quarter of the way done, or quarter of the season left in the regular season during the uh, NBA calendar. Uh, Scott, it uh, we're coming off All-Star Weekend here in Cleveland. Um, it was it was freezing by all accounts, including <laughs> my own uh, in Cleveland. But uh, you know, it, it felt like a a celebration of the game, which All Star Weekend always is, but a, a little bit more extra, you know, candles on that cake to celebrate it. Yeah, I mean, you, you were there for it all. I wasn't, but um, e- even just watching it from my TV screen at home um, in the warmth of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, it, I mean, it, it seemed just like a great event from start to finish. Um, actually, I guess the, the All-Star Saturday, the dunk contest didn't go down great. But but generally, as you're saying, kind of this celebration of the league, um, the, the halftime uh, special ceremony for the NBA 75 team, even though not everyone was there, um, it was great to kind of see all those legends on the stage together. And then the All-Star game itself, I mean, the Steph Curry doing what he did, just going absolutely berserk. Some of the shots he hit were incredible. And and LeBron hitting that game winner, the Elam ending, um, I, I think it's safe to say is, is a success, a resounding success for the league since they implemented that in the All-Star game. Um, I, I really do think from start to finish, it was, it, it was just a great celebration of the game, as you said. Yeah, it really was, and I, I want to start with the with the seventy five team. Um, you know, to I've been lucky enough to be in NBA arenas for some pretty cool events, for some pretty cool moments, um, for some great games. Not just in NBA arenas, but just basketball arenas around the globe. That was easily the best moment of my professional career, uh, and just as a fan as well. Um, just being in the building to witness just the greatest players <laughs> that, that have ever played the game. Um, you know, the 75 team obviously put together, uh, you know, by a bunch of knowledgeable people from the history of the game to, to current uh, journalists and everyone around players and, and, and coaches and everything around. Um, and, and, you know, granted, there are some gripes with some players that either made the list or didn't make the list. Um, but, you know, when, when I saw all that talent being named and, and, and all of them coming out for those that were in attendance and even for some that weren't, um, you know, you're, you're just every name just puts you back, at, you know, in, in that fan shoe uh, and, and just reminded me, oh, man, I remember when he had this game or man, I remember when he hit this shot or, or you know, or led his team to this victory in his playoff series. And, um, you know, I, I, it was it was really, 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 really thrilling uh, to be in that arena for that. Um, and then when obviously MJ walks out at the end, you know, you get the ovation for in a city where he, you know, broke so many hearts so many times. Um, but he, he, there's just that level of respect that you give uh, a Michael Jordan. And I think a lot of people uh, even around Cleveland weren't expecting him to be there after seeing him at the Daytona 500 earlier in the day. Uh, I think they forgot that, you know, this man does have a private jet and can get anywhere <laughs> in the world if he wanted to. Um, but he was there and, and it was great to see him sort of not only just come back, but, you know, interact with LeBron. LeBron James and, and the current players, Luka Doncic and and even Carl Towns got a you know to dap up Jordan and you know he, he was able to reminisce with you know some of the players that he did battles with like Magic Johnson and we and we were able to kind of eavesdrop in some of those conversations and um, you know see the smiles across all of those players' faces and I think every interview I heard or saw online uh, afterwards for either the current players or the former players they all just had a great gratitude that you know the league had been able to put this on and, and brought them all together because you know for some they don't meet you know you, you just assume just because you're in the NBA family you don't get to meet everybody right like you don't get to be there and have um, you know that person spend that much time with you even if it's a five-minute conversation just to you know maybe exchange numbers or whatever um, that's not always available to you uh, so you know for for a Luka Doncic to be in the same room with Magic Johnson who I'm, I'm sure he's met before but um, you know to just pick his brain uh, you know about what's next John Morant same thing um, you know Devin Booker you know the, the, all these current players that had the opportunity to rub shoulders with the players that really blazed a trail for them now uh, was was pretty exciting so um, you know it was a blast to be there for that moment the game you know lived up to the hype as well and as you said the Elon ending is is uh, a great addition to the all-star game and I think it should stay I also think by the way speaking Elon ending and I don't want to go too deep onto this I, I do think that the G League should have that right now 
And I do think that in our lifetime, Scott, the NBA regular season should also have the ending at some point too. Um, maybe leave the playoffs the traditional way, but I would like to see the regular season end on a bucket. It would be great. Um, but that, that that's a debate for another time. Um, so all that to say, you know, All-Star Weekend was a success. And I think in Cleveland, I think even, you know, the Friday night event, um, you know, typically isn't the, the event where most people are really looking forward to. I think it's Saturday and, and obviously the main event on Sunday. That's when you see all the stars come into town and everything else. But Friday night had an energy in the crowd. Um, and maybe because, you know, you know, they had you know, some some caval- they had Cavaliers playing in the uh, uh, Rising Stars Challenge. But it, there was chance of defense, Scott, <laughs> like mm-hmm. in the Rising Stars game. When do you hear that in an All-Star game? Like that's it's been a long time since you heard chance of defense in an All-Star game. Uh, and, you know, the, the, I think the, the Rising Stars put on a show and, and it just kind of highlighted the fact the entire weekend for me highlighted the fact that the NBA is in great hands. You know, you have the Rising Stars on a Friday night. All those players are, you know, um, you know, have potential to be in the All-Star game at some point. Uh, and then you have the All-Star game on, on Sunday night. And you look at the guys like John Morant. Um, you, you, you look at guys like Luka Doncic, you look at guys like Carl Towns, Devin Booker, who are all, you know, under 25, 26 years old. And, you know, they're playing at the highest level that they could possibly play at. And they're not even in the prime of their, you know, their athletic careers. Um, it, it just excites me. I think about Jason Tatum. and I always forget, like, we, we feel like Jason Tatum should be like closing on his 30s. Dude's only what, 24, 25 <laughs> years old. Yeah. It's insane to think about that. And he, you know, he's, he's playing at a high level in this league. So, um, you know, the league is uh, is in a great, great spot, and it might be the most talented we've ever seen in the league. Uh, and, and to have that crossover with the greatest talent, um, you know, the league has ever seen was really, 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 really uh, a great moment, um, I think, for anybody that was involved, even for those who were watching on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking to that, I, I did an MVP ladder. We talked about it last time uh, we, ha- we had the podcast, mm-hmm. and it's pretty set in stone, I feel like, who the top three are. But after that, I mean, there's like... I don't know, six, maybe eight players who you can make a case deserve to be in that like four, five, six range. Um, and that just speaks to the, the the top end talent that we have right now. And every single year, sometimes multiple times a year, we do our top 30 players in the league ranking on NBA.com for Sporting News. And even then, like, it feels like we have like, the same kind of mix of players in the top 20, but players move around every so often. But that 20 to 30 range is brutal. And again, it's just a reminder of like, this, this team is, just, this league right now is just littered with talent from top to bottom. Um, and, and you're right, you know, the, the, the Rising Stars new format was really fun. Um, those games, like they got tight down at the end. Like it felt like they were they were really playing for it. You know what I mean? Right. There was some trash talking going on and stuff like that. Um, so that added a great element to it. But you you talking about the, the NBA 75 team and that celebration, everything like that. I mean, LeBron afterwards, because there was that moment between him and, and Jordan kind of embracing and talking um, that went viral, a video of it. And he talked afterwards and, and it blew my mind. Like he said, I did not want to lose the opportunity to shake the man's hand that inspired me throughout my childhood and said that he hasn't had much dialogue with Michael Jordan in his 20 you know, odd years of being in this business. Yeah. And it's just like like hearing that, it, it, it reminds me of everything you're saying about like, we just assume that like, you know, LeBron and MJ are talking whenever they want. Like LeBron runs into him all the time at these events. Um, but to hear that, like, you know, these two guys who I feel like everyone debates is which one is the greatest player of all time. The fact that like LeBron is sitting here and saying like, you know, we, we haven't had that much time to like hang out and talk throughout these these 15, 20 years. Um, so I wasn't going to let this opportunity to go by to be in the same building as him and not have that moment with him. Like, it really is just a reminder of just how unique kind of th- this ceremony was, this collect. Like, I mean, there's nothing like it, right? You have to go back to the 50th anniversary when they had those top 50 players all gathered. And we may not have something like this again until the, the 100th anniversary when they do, I'm assuming, the top 100 players of all time. So, uh, yeah, just a really cool event. I, I thought the league did a, a really good job of celebrating all that talent, getting them all there. Again, it was a shame that some of the people who, who could have been there or it seemed like could have been there weren't there. Um, but I mean, for the most part, the majority of players were and it was good to see them kind of all on that stage again. It, it, it was very cool. Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, I was grateful that I was able to be there uh, and, and, and see it live and experience that. Something I will definitely never, never, ever forget. By the way, I don't want to get into the whole uh, 1A, 1B sort of situation, but I think uh, and you know me, I'm a, I'm a big fan of new information is out. So I change my uh, opinion when that is available to me. Uh, I've said even on this show and off the show that I thought LeBron James was the best player uh, to ever step on a basketball court. But I think LeBron inadvertently uh, made it clear to everybody 
that uh, it might be it might be MJ. It might be him uh, in, in everyone's opinion, uh, just by the way that he spoke about the man. And, and nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think you know, that you could go you still could go either way. Uh, but for me, it might have changed my opinion a little bit um, just based on the way that LeBron sees it. If LeBron sees it that way, then why am I going outside of uh, the, the man who is himself? Uh, you know, so I don't, I don't want to get into the debate. I know you restand, mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's what I took away from it. Uh, he continues to inspire. Uh, even though we haven't seen him play in you know, over 20 years, uh, that's the great mm-hmm. Michael Jordan. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's talk about the second half of the NBA calendar. Well, it's really the the, the last quarter of the NBA calendar because the All Star Weekend, the final stretch. Um, yeah, it, it, it used to be closer to the middle of the NBA season. Um, now it feels like you know there's some teams that are only playing um, you know 20 games. The, the, I think the most games left on the table for an NBA team is 25, uh, and that's the Toronto Raptors. They have a sprint to the end here um, and, and in the remaining schedule. We'll get underway on on Thursday. Um, games back in action, and it, it, these are meaningful games for a lot of teams uh, that are going to be you know, vying for play-in and playoff position. Uh, I think in the short history of the play-in tournament, Scott, this is fixing to be the most competitive Playing tournament of all time. Um, when you look at the tenth seeded Atlanta Hawks, I don't think anybody wants to see Trey Young in a one game scenario. Um, you know, and then on the other side, when you look at the tenth seeded Blazers, depending on if Damian Lillard could get healthy, I don't think anyone wants to see them in a one game scenario. And if it's not them, then it's the San Antonio Spurs. And who wants to deal with Coach Pop, who can game plan for you in the one game scenario? So. Um, this this playing tournament, uh, just a playing tournament alone, that seven to ten range, is going to be tough. We're we're, we're going to get into the playoffs a little bit later, but um, it is it is very intriguing to me, and I think every night it's going to be must watch TV from here on out. I, I'm with you. I, I think it's hard for me to remember exactly what all the matchups were over the last couple of years for that playing tournament. Um, obviously, it started two years ago with just one game, if I remember correctly. But either way, like this has got to be the best it's been at least on both sides of the conference, right? It, it's always felt like maybe the West playing game was better than the East last right. year. I can't remember exactly what it is. By the way, like th- this is the thought that like LeBron James could be in two playing tournament games. You know what I mean? Um, e- even beyond the Hawks, like the Nets, it's no guarantee like they're going to crack the top six in the East. And I'll be looking at Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, uh, kind of fighting for their lives just to make it into the playoffs, just to get that, that, that eighth or seventh seed to play one of the top seeded teams in the East. Um, I, I mean, it, there's just, it feels, there's a lot of uncertainty, I feel like. And we, we've kind of talked about this before, um, specifically about certain teams, but it really does feel like the title race is is pretty open right now. Um, and there's just so many different teams that could, it feels like could get hot and make a run. Um, and, and, you know, we also have like the Clippers, uh, by the way, who we talked about them a little bit last week and, and the job that Ty Lue has done. TBD on whether or not Paul George and Kawhi Leonard come back and play this season, but like they've been scrappy, um, they've been an annoying team to play against, and the thought that you know maybe they could get both of their best players back before the playoffs um, if they're in that playing range again, it, again, like you said, there's just there's just going to be so many teams that I feel like you're not going to want to play kind of in that setting. Um, so I, I mean, again, we kind of talk about the Elam ending for the All Star game. I think it's fair to say the playing tournament's looking like it's it's a pretty big win for the league right now. Um, I, I mean, the Lakers and Warriors game last season too that that was great, and so was the Warriors and Grizzlies game for for what it's worth. So mm-hmm. um, th- there's already been some exciting games kind of in that playing tournament. No question about it. it all right, so um, as we look ahead to the season, the second half, or rather the last quarter of the season, mm-hmm. um, let, let's do this. Let's let's look around and 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 kind of identify a couple teams in a different way. Uh, I want to look at a team that you're confident in. I want to look at a team that you're confused by. And I want to look at a team that you're intrigued by as we head towards the playoffs in April, or at least the play-in tournament first. Um, give me your, your team that you're most confident in right now um, as, as we're close to 20 games left for most teams in the regular season. It's it's the Suns for me. Look, I, they've been by far and away the best team in the league to this point in the season. They have... Um, a six and a half game lead on the Warriors in the Western Conference standings. We're talking about a team that made the finals last season, came up a little bit short, but were two wins away from winning the finals. They are absolutely elite on both ends of the court. Not only that, they're both incredibly versatile on both ends of the court. And ultimately, they have two of the league's best cold-blooded closers in Chris Paul and Devin Booker. 
Um, and I, I'm not going to read the stats right now on air, but if you go on NBA.com, look up their clutch numbers. They are, they are absolutely absurd. Um, the, mm-hmm. the two of them dating back to last season have just been absolutely elite down the stretch of games when it matters the most. And I think, you know, this team is extremely well coached. They have chemistry. Um, continuity is on their side. And, and I just feel the most confident about them from top to bottom. Now, it gets a little bit complicated now that Chris Paul um, is going to be out for, what, six to eight weeks, which is potentially the rest of the regular season with this broken thumb. Um, that is a concern. He, he's I had him fifth on my uh, MVP rankings last week when I did it kind of going into the All-Star weekend. He is incredible. Um, I think he leads the league in assists. Well, he leads the league in assists or full stop this season. Um, but in the clutch, I think he's dished out the most assists and he ranks like ninth in scoring. Um, he's crucial to what they do. But um, I, I just I still feel like I, I have faith in this team kind of taking care of business. The, the, these 20, next 20 games, they're going to get Chris Paul back. Um, that first round series might not be very easy. Like we just talked about the playing tournament, how, it can, how difficult it could be for those teams. But I just have faith in them like working Chris Paul back um, and kind of hitting their stride in that second round, third round. Um, and I, ultimately, I just the, the team I, I feel the best about right now. By the way, I don't. I don't want to downplay, a, 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 you know, a, a, any injury, right? I don't want to do that, especially when the experts are telling me that Chris Paul is going to be out six to eight weeks. But the fact that he played in the All Star game, and I know it was under, like it was two minutes or something like that, under three minutes. The fact that he played in that game, stepped on the floor in that game, gives me confidence that if they need him to come back at a certain point earlier than that, he'll be available. Um, you know, so that, that's that's my take. I mean, on, they shouldn't the need him either, right? They, they shouldn't. shouldn't. They, they've they, got they, a good lead. Um, yeah. They're making the playoffs. They are probably. Right. I mean, it would take a disaster for them to fall out of the the top four in the West. So I think as long as they've got that home court advantage, I think their priority is going to be going healthy into the playoffs. Yeah, they have a six and a half game lead right now over the Warriors uh, in the Western Conference. So it, it's going to take a lot for them to fall off there. And you know, even without him, uh, Chris Paul last year, we saw even in the playoffs that they were able to still maintain uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the things that they were doing. Uh, one thing that I, I found interesting over the weekend, um, and if you listen to some of the quotes that come out from you know the coaches and even the players when they get asked at All Star Weekend versus getting asked things you know ahead of a game when they've had time to really digest things and stuff uh and monty was really talking about how phoenix their their attention to detail is a lot different this year than it was last year or even the year that they were going into the bubble and it's improved so much and he thinks that's really the difference between what they are this year versus uh you know a team that made it to the finals were two wins away from winning a championship last year so that's a scary proposition uh for for the phoenix suns uh if their head coach is saying that they're even better than they were last year because they were they were pretty good last year um my team that are most confident in scott is the Miami Heat. Um, I I I watched the Heat play from the opening game. Uh, I was I was there in Miami when they played the Milwaukee Bucks and they blew the Bucks out in that first game. And the one thing that stuck out to me, it wasn't I, I knew that Miami probably would win that game because I think um, either Middleton or or Holiday weren't playing. It was it was really Giannis by himself. I don't think Lopez played either. Um, they might even had you know, at the time DiVincenzo sit out. Like it was really a it was really Bobby Portis and, and the honest playing in that game, and and they weren't in it, Milwaukee, and they had they had played the night a uh, couple nights before. They had played Brooklyn to start the uh, the season, um, so you know a lot of motions going into that, the ring night and everything else. So it, it was it was primed for one of those losses in, in in Miami, and the Heat blew them out. But the one thing that stuck out to me in that game was you know, minutes into it, PJ Tucker took a hard foul. Uh, I believe on Giannis and it was one of those messages being sent like you're not going to get a layup you're not going to come in easy and we're talking about game one in the regular season and that to me was um, you know not only a message to the Bucks, but a message to the rest of the league that we're going to play a certain way we know who we are we're going to play a certain way and we're going to beat you that way uh, or you're, you're going to have to you know come down to our level and scrap with us and beat us uh, and, and that was more of a message for uh, you know towards the playoffs and, and ever since then I feel like they've played that way regardless of who's in the lineup this is a scrappy bunch this is a team that I think Eric Spoelstra is very comfortable coaching I, I think everybody on the team knows their role and that's so important when you are putting together pieces like Kyle Lowry who never played uh, for the Heat 
until t- until this season. Uh, PJ Tucker, who was you know who was in a different uniform and won a championship, um, you know, less than a year ago, and now he's playing on the Heat, and he knows exactly what he's going to bring to the table for this Heat squad. Like they had really no growing pains for this team, and 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 with the injuries and everything that they've you know gone through, and they are still you know fighting for first place in the Eastern Conference. They're tied for first right now with the Chicago Bulls. That to me says a lot. Um, you know, they, they are now as healthy as they've been, um, you know, barring a couple injuries. I know Martin's out. He was, who's been surprisingly a part of their rotation mm-hmm. for the entire season. Um, but outside of him, they, they, they really haven't had too many injuries. And once they get, you know, whole again, um, you know, and have the 20 games or so left in this regular season, you know, to, to either lock down first place or, or second, um, they're going to be a tough out, and it, it is it is a team that I think I'm most confident in in the Eastern Conference that I know at least what I'm going to get. I, I know if they're going to lose, they're going to lose a certain way, and I know if they're going to win, they're going to win a certain way. I can't really say that about any other team in the East. It's a good point about them because I was going to say defensively, I mean, they're, they're, they're nasty. I don't think any team wants to go against them defensively. Like Kyle Lowry has long been one of the best point guard defenders in the league. Draws charges more than anyone else. Um, he can defend bigger than his size. Like he's not someone you can just like bulldoze in the post on a switch. Um, if you're a bigger player, like he he's tough as nails. And that he's like the head of the snake. Then you have Jimmy Butler, an all defensive caliber player, um, just a mean help defender. Can guard multiple positions. PJ Tucker, we know what he's capable of. He defended Durant in that series between Milwaukee and Brooklyn, and Kevin Durant went off. Um, but I, I don't think. Like PJ did everything he could in that series and his guy you can throw on the best player on the opposing team and he's going to get in their head. He's going to make it difficult for them. And then you have Bam Adebayo who might be the best defender um, on this team, which is saying something. Like he, we were talking about multi, multi-positional defenders, I think last week and how there's very few five-positional defenders. He's one of them. Like he can guard absolutely everyone. He's, he's incredible on the end of the court. So you have those four players who are, by the way, defensive geniuses as well. Um, like they just move on a string. There are some incredible defensive possessions when you watch them in games of flying out at shooters, rotating, um, picking up guys, switching across the floor. Um, and, and like they're not like they're just not going to be fun for anyone to play against because they're just going to be tough, nasty. They're not going to fear anyone. I do have I, I feel like I have a little bit of concern about them offensively because I can imagine like in the half court that I think they could run some issues in the playoff games. And that's why Tyler Hero is going to be huge for them. Um, but the issue with him is that if you have him for offense, he's kind of like the one guy on that team or in that lineup that can be picked on defensively. Sure. Um, and I think that's something that teams will be pretty aggressive about doing um, at the end of end of close games. So that's why I'm, I, I think I, I was going to kind of push back on being like me saying I was confident in them. Um, but when you said like you're confident in the way that you know what you're going to get from this team. And if they do lose, the reason that it's going to be, um, I, I do think that's spot on. Yeah, that's the, that's the really the only reason why I, I do believe uh, that this Miami team is going to be, um, you know, a, a tough out in the postseason. You know, they're, they're, they're going to win a certain way, and if they lose, it's going to be a certain way. So we, we know what we're getting out of them. Uh, all right, what, what team are you most, um, you know, confused by as we head in the last quarter of the season? Uh, I'm interested to hear what you say on this, but for me, it's, it's quite clearly the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, look. This is pretty obvious. Like they came into the season as the title favorites. Um, I, a lot of people had the Bucks um, in there as well. But like I, I did going into the season, felt like we saw what James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and, and Kevin Durant were capable of last season. If they're all healthy, like they should win this no matter what. Um, that obviously hasn't exactly gone to plan. James Harden's no longer on this team. Um, they they did the the biggest trade at the trade deadline. Um, Kevin Durant is out. He's been out for a while with an MCL sprain in his knee. Um, Kyrie Irving is only available. He's a part-time player, and they've had a really rough stretch. And they're only they're now in the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, kind of like we talked about before. They're only three and a half games out of the uh, Washington Wizards in eleventh spot. Like this isn't even a guarantee that they're going to make the playoffs. Um, and you know the, the the final stretch begins on Thursday. We still don't know when Kevin Durant's going to come back. It sounds like Ben Simmons is going to play soon. Um, but it, it's, it doesn't seem like he's going to play like this week, maybe not even next week. Like it could take a few more weeks for him to get back. And obviously we still have no idea, um, if Kyrie Irving is, I mean, as of right now, he's only eligible by my count to play in eight more games this regular right. season because of his, of his part-time status. Like, is, is that, is that actually going to be the case? Is he really only going to play eight more games? And what does that mean for the playoffs? So I think I, I'm really high on the trade that they made. Like, I, I think 
Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving together um, are the, the potentially the best scoring duo in the league. They can get buckets against anyone. They play well off of each other. Ben Simmons, we know what his flaws are, but the, what he brings to this team, team defensively, they need that desperately. And I'm optimistic about his fit and how he can play off of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But in saying that, like there are just so many question marks about this team. Um, we don't even know who's going to be on the floor for them at, at, at any game really moving forward. When that's going to be, how many reps are they going to be able to get with each other before the playoffs start? Um, I, they just, I, I still think this is one of the best teams or could be one of the best teams in the East. Um, if, if they're firing all cylinders, I don't think it's off the table that this team makes a run to the finals. But I also have just, I, I just don't know what to expect from them at all over these next couple of months. Yeah, it's uh, it is going to be interesting to see how how quickly they can come together. Because as you said, like I don't think people realize how easy it might be for them to lose a one-off game to Toronto. Uh, if they were mm-hmm. to, if the play in started today, like they're they're going to Toronto where Kyrie Irving might not be able to play. Um, and you know, I, I don't know that people realize that you know th- th- these Raptors could get them in a one-game scenario. Um, mm-hmm. and then even if. Uh, you know the, the Nets are able to get by and end up in the seventh seed like they would match up against the Chicago Bulls uh, and that that is going to be a tough matchup either Chicago or Miami like what a great first round series that would be to see the Nets and the Heat uh, battle it out that would be incredible and one of those two teams who I think a lot of people might pick to make the finals wouldn't even get out of the first round <laughs> that's that's insane that's how, how crazy the next mm-hmm. uh, the last quarter of this regular season is going to be uh, the team that I'm most confused by uh, is the Boston Celtics. Um, mm. I, I so so here's the one stat that I I I was able to look up and pull up before the show began. Um, you know, Boston. Everyone knows the last. You know, they won nine of the last ten, leading to the All Star break. They seem to have figured it out. Figured it out. Um, they've been incredible at home, twenty and eleven. They've been horrible on the road. They're under five hundred on the road, fourteen and fifteen. They have the best defensive rating in the NBA in road games this season. The best. Better than Phoenix, better than any team in the NBA. That that includes the the uh, the Warriors, everybody, and they're fourteen and fifteen. And I and I wondered like why why is that the case, Scott? In clutch games on the road, they've played twelve clutch games <laughs> on the road. They are two in ten in those clutch games, Ooh. two in ten. So if you're wondering why they couldn't, you know, I, I'm wondering. It, it, how can they close games out? You know, it, it, at home, it seems like they've been able to feed off the crowd, but on the road, it seems like they just self-destruct. And that has to turn around here in the last quarter of the season because more likely than not, uh, and I don't care how hot they are, right now they're sitting in sixth spot. Um, they might have to be, uh, you know, a, a five or, or, or you know, lower-seeded team, and that means they're not going to have home court advantage in the postseason. They're not going to have home court advantage in the second round of the playoffs if they were able to make it out. So, you know, they're going to have to figure out their road woes. And, you know, I, I don't know where that comes down, who that comes down to. But I do think, um, you know, the Derek White move changes things a little bit because now they have a point guard that might be able to help out uh, and get guys into the correct spots and also defend at a high level. Um, you know, say what you want about Schroeder. He's not the defender, um, you know, on-ball defender, I should say, as, as Derek White mm-hmm. is. Um, you know, he, he is an off-ball defender that can take charges every now and then. But I, I, I am a little bit more confident in what Derek White brings to the table because I know who he is and I know who he's not. Schroeder can give you 20 and, and 10 one night and give you, you know, 0 for 15 from the field the other night. So I'm very, very, very confused by this Boston Celtics team because I don't know if it's if it's a team I don't know if it's coaching I don't know if it's J- uh, Tatum and, and and Brown not figuring it out um, you know they've played a long time together and it seems like even at end of games close game situations they just can't figure it out at least on the road so I, I'm very confused by this Boston Celtics team uh, should we just get to our intrigue teams then yeah let's do it um, the team I'm most intrigued by is the uh, Boston Celtics <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, this team has been so up and down, really, this entire season, but they've been absolutely fantastic lately. Um, even just going a little bit further than you just said, the 11-12, 11, sorry, 11-2 over the last 13 games, yep. and they've been by far and away the best defensive team in the league during that stretch. Yep. And they're only trailing the Warriors on the season now by a hair um, in defensive rating. And really, they, they, they switch a ton defensively. Um, Robert Williams is one of the best rim protectors in the league. He's a huge presence down there. And they, they've moved him more off-ball lately. He's guarding off-ball guys so he can kind of roam as a rim protector. Um, Marcus Smart, he's one of the, the best defenders in the league. He just feels like he's everywhere all at the same time. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are, are very good long-wing defenders. 
Um, I, I think they're legit on that end of the court. And I think as long as you're elite on one end of the court, you're going to be tough to, to play with on a night-to-night basis. Um, offensively is just generally like that they haven't been as good offensively jason tatum got off to a really slow start shooting the ball this season um it never felt like him and Jalen brown could get on the same page it was like tatum had a good game brown had a bad one but then brown had a good game tatum had a, a bad one but it feels like they've kind of found their rhythm more lately together um and i the, the weird thing about this team is that they're both very like one-on-one um oriented players right and that's why i love them getting al holford back so much because al holford is one a really good floor spacer um so he opens up that end of the court for them but he's also a very good passer and he can be kind of a connector and get the Mm -hmm. offense going more um which is what that this team needs being built around those two players and Derek white kind of adds to that because defensively like you said he he fits in perfectly what they want to do he can guard multiple positions he's long he's tough um, he's going to mix in. He's going to he's going to make him a little bit tougher with on the end of the court. But offensively, he's he's a bit of a streaky three point shooter. But he's a guy who makes really quick decisions, whether it is shooting, driving, passing, and kicking, um, pushing the ball in transition. Like he does, it feels like all the little things that gets the offense going a little bit more. Um, and ultimately, like you, you you talked about it, the clutch numbers are rough. And if you look at like Jason Tatum is shooting thirty five percent in the clutch this season, and he's two for 23 from the three-point line that is i I said that right two for 23 8.7 percent um that is not good jalen brown is shooting 43.9 percent from the field in the clutch which isn't bad considering the situation of the game um but yeah they they just haven't been great at the end of game so as long as that continues um this team probably isn't going to be able to quite enter that like upper echelon in the eastern conference but I, again, I buy them defensively. I think they're going to be a little bit better offensively. And really, I just think things are so open in the East right now. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. We were surprised when the Hawks made a run to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I, like, I don't know if it's going to be Heat, Bulls, 76ers. Um, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, just it, those five teams, Heat, Bulls, 76ers, Bucks, Nets. Um, mm-hmm. Two of those, you know, one of those teams is not going to make it. But is there a team like the Celtics that can kind of make a surprising run? Um, do the Hawks do it again? What about these Cleveland Cavaliers? Like, I think there's just one of those teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, with the way they're playing right now, I wonder if the kind of the Celtics are trending in that direction. You're you're right about the the comparison to the Hawks because if the Hawks, even though we were surprised that they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, when you take a step back and look at when they got hot and when they made that coaching change and when things started to click for them, it, mm-hmm. it was long before the you know the the All Star break. Like they they had consistently been playing better throughout um, you know throughout the year and you know you, they they kind of knew who they were and it feels like the Celtics you know have been. Com- you know, figuring themselves out and playing consistently better uh, throughout the year, especially on the defensive end. And that was the same thing with the Hawks. That was really what changed for them is they started to defend at a higher clip. And we see the Celtics doing the same thing. I think they are learning the system uh, that Ime Udoka has put in place, and, and it, it is showing. And um, you know, I, I, I do worry about them in the clutch, though. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's why I'm I'm very much confused by them. Uh, the team that I'm most intrigued by, Scott, uh, is the Utah Jazz. Um, mm-hmm. Last year was the first year since the 2012 NBA Finals that the team that led the league in true shooting percentage did not make the finals uh, last in the regular season. Last year, the Brooklyn Nets led the NBA in true shooting percentage in the regular season. We know that they lost in the in the second round uh, due to injury to the Milwaukee Bucks or, or whatever you want to say, but injury had a lot to do with it. Uh, and this year, it's the Utah Jazz. Uh, that lead the league in true shooting percentage. And normally that's a mark of not only getting good shots, but making them. Um, and it's also a mark that you're a three-level scoring team. You have the ability to score inside, you have the ability to score at the free throw line, and you have the ability to score from long range. And I think that's been Utah's problem the last couple of years. Um, it has been, you know, they, the offense bogs down because I, I, the defense is one thing, but the offense also struggles in the regular in the postseason for this Utah Jazz team. Like they put a lot of pressure on Donovan Mitchell to get things done, and not to say that that pressure is off of him. He's still going to be the guy that you know really you know be, he's a straw that stirs this team's offense. He's 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 going to be counted on and making big time shots. Uh, down a stretch of ball games, but I think there's a little bit more help there. Uh, and and now I think again the pieces that are in place kind of know their role around him, uh, and they're figuring things out. The Joe Ingles injury is what it is at this point. That's going to be a tough blow to them, especially on the defensive end. Um, but I I do think that they'll be able to overcome that because they are you know a much deeper team. And if they're able to stay healthy from here on out, they'll figure things out. Um, but 
I, I am very intrigued by if they're going to be able to get over the hump with this team. Um, and and that that's, that always sticks out to me. The fact that teams that normally lead the league in three, you know, in true shooting percentage, have a good shot of making the finals. Um, and this is a team that has you know not only the good offense this year, but also the good defense historically. So I am very, very, very intrigued by them. I'm intrigued by them as well. And and even just beyond the true shooting percentage, we've talked about it before, but they they lead the NBA in offensive rating and it's not even close. They're, they're scoring 115.9 points per 100 possessions. The Hawks are in second place at 113.9. So there's a two point per 100 possessions difference between the Jazz and the Hawks at two. That's and big. by the way, and by the way, they're leading the league in offensive rating and they're not doing it at a fast pace either. They're doing it at a playoff pace. Like they, they're doing it. They, they have the 19th uh, ranked pace in the NBA um, and, and the Hawks you know, are around that mark as well. So that means they're doing it a lot in the half court. You're like, they're not getting up and down the floor and getting a lot of transition baskets to push that offensive rating up like that. A lot of that stuff's happening in the half court. Yeah, I mean, th- this team is just elite offensively. They are. It feels like Donovan Mitchell kind of continues to level up. Um, we know Rudy Gobert is not an offensive-minded player, but what he does for them, setting screens, rolling hard to the basket, opens up so much for them. They have shooting at every single position. Um, they, they are just they, they've continued to kind of improve offensively each and every season. I, I, defensively, we know kind of what they are at this point. Like Rudy Gobert is one of the the arguably the best defensive player in the league. Uh, we saw what happened to this team when he was out um, for a couple of weeks. Like they, they they just couldn't get stops at all. Um, Unfortunately, we've also kind of seen a, a couple teams lately, including that Lakers game when Anthony Davis got injured, play small against them like the Clippers did in the playoffs and then struggle to kind of get stops. And I think that Rudy Gay was an interesting addition for them in the offseason because it seemed like he was going to be kind of the player who could who could play small or unlock their small ball lineups um, as a small ball center when needed. Their small ball lineups have struggled um, this season. And some of that might just have to do with like it's an adjustment, like it's going to take time. Um, but it, it doesn't. They're just they're, they're more confusing to me because I feel like I, I've talked about this before, where like they were dynamite in the playoffs last year offensively. Like Donovan Mitchell was incredible. They just had really unfortunate injuries as well. Um, like Rudy Gobert took a lot of heat, kind of for their defensive collapse, and that was a lot of that wasn't entirely on him. Um, it was about guys being able to get defensive stops. Um, on the perimeter or keeping their guys in front of them. But the fact that like Donovan Mitchell was basically playing on one ankle um, in that series, and I know the Clippers didn't have Kawhi Leonard, so it's all these different things. Um, but like they just had some very unfortunate injuries at the wrong times. And I do wonder if this team's like fully healthy going into the playoffs, they get the right matchups, that they could go on a long run. But also just something feels a little bit off about this team right now, kind of going into that all-star break. You know, there were some reports about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. We've heard about that dynamic before. Um, Kind of new reports kind of resurfacing about them butting heads maybe. Um, Joe Ingles, like you said, he played a really important role off that bench. Uh, A guy like a connector, a guy who could kind of lead that second unit, another ball handler, um, three-point shooter. something just feels a little bit off and maybe they find their rhythm kind of in this final stretch and they go into the playoffs um peaking at the right time um but i i yeah i'm i i I would like to see kind of this this team break through um but i i just i don't really know how to feel about them right now yeah that's why i'm intrigued by them it's an interesting interesting group i I, the big man situation i think is is the most interesting because they are going to be there's going to be a balance act between how much you eliminate having Rudy Gobert on the floor versus you know going small. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Gobert isn't playing a ton of minutes this season. Like he's he's around the 32 minute mark and for a superstar uh, of his caliber and how much he means to the team on the floor. Like Utah's minutes distribu- distribution throughout the season, um, you know, is, is pretty balanced. Like they got they got about eight nine guys that are playing 18 minutes plus. Um, and that you can't say that for every team. If you think about a team like the Raptors, they're going like. I was just gonna say you can't say that about the Raptors. <laughs> yeah, they're going. They're going six deep. So um, yeah. you know, Utah is a deep team. Obviously, they're going to miss Joe Ingles. So that means that you know, guys like uh, Eric Pascal might have to you know play a couple more minutes, and and that's probably not uh, you know ideal for for the Jazz in the postseason. But you know, he is serviceable um, and and, ha- and and could. You know, could could provide some level of uh, your relief, and, and and has been shooting in the small you know sample size has been shooting the three ball uh, at least at a decent clip for for the Jazz, and that's what they're going to need. So, 
um, you know, I am very much intrigued by this team. It, it's either going to work for them this year. It, it feels like this is the final straw, right? It feels like you know, if we are if you're taking the you know the the, uh, the 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 test of the the NBA market and seeing who what's the next star to you know to be upset about the situation they're in because it feels like that happens at least one time a year maybe even twice. Um, it feels like it might come out of Utah whether it's Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell, um, and you know it, it'll be interesting to see um, how they go through this postseason because if this is a team that gets bounced in the first round again, I think you have to make changes whether that's the roster whether that's front office, whether that's coaching, whether that's whatever. Um, there's going to have to be some changes to be made because I don't know how, how often you keep running it back uh, and getting the same result. So uh, especially if there's chemistry issues, as you said, you know, the reports coming out about Gobert and, and Mitchell. Um, the, the one thing that they, they are missing, though, I will say, is that they don't have they don't have that one locker room vet that has that has really won at high level. Um, I know Mike Conley is you know, probably the leader of this team at this point. Uh, he's in his age 34 season, but Mike Conley's never, you know, gotten over the hump. Um, and, and too often he's in his time in Utah. Anyway, he's been, he's been hurt in the most crucial parts of the, uh, of the season in the postseason. So, um, hopefully that's not the case this year, but I do think that they miss that, that veteran presence, that, that one guy that still has a little bit left in the tank that could give you the 20 minutes a game and, um, also try to bring the team together a little bit more. The crazy thing about them too is is Gobert and Mitchell are both in the first year of their the extensions that they signed not long ago. Right. So like Donovan Mitchell has a player option in his contract in for the 25-26 season. And right. so does Rudy Gobert. And Rudy Gobert's is uh forty six point seven million dollars. So that's uh that's gonna be a lot to pay uh what, thirty four year old Rudy Gobert at that point. Um Look, there was a Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated had a story over the weekend, and it said that around the league, team executives are already bracing for the next the next um, disenchanted star to ask out. Sure. And the speculation was about Zion Williamson in New Orleans, which you know continues to kind of bubble up. Um, Damian Lillard in Portland and Donovan Mitchell in Utah. So we'll we'll see what happens on that front. Um, it, it does feel weird to say like this could be the last draw, considering. Again, they have their two best players on a contract for the foreseeable future. Rudy Gobert is 29. He's a little bit older, but Donovan Mitchell is one of the best young players in the league. Like you should, having them and complementary pieces around them, like they should, you, you'd think kind of just continue running it back every single season and hope they can break through. Um, but the problem with them is that the way that they've lost in the playoffs the last like two or three years has been pretty, pretty rough, right? Like it, mm-hmm. There wasn't too many positives kind of coming from those series. So if something like that happens again, I, I can imagine kind of those conversations happening. But no, I mean, you're right that they're they're a good pick here. They're a very interesting team to. It's going to be very interesting to see kind of how the next couple of months go for them. Yeah. All right. Before we get out of here, let's let's take a look at uh, the long term storylines in uh, in the NBA and give me one storyline that you think most people aren't talking about. One storyline most people aren't talking about. Um, or, or that they should be talking about more if they are talking about. Look, I, I might be showing my Raptors bias here because uh, we, we, we run NBA Canada. Um, they've been a great story this season. And I, I don't know how good this team can be in a playoff series. Like, I, I don't know if this is, this team's going to make it to the second round or anything like that. Um, but Fred Van Vliet, kind of the, the career arc that he's had going from an undrafted player to an all-star and a, deserve, a guy who deserved to be an all-star this season. Um, Pascal Siakam, was a all NBA all star starter a couple seasons ago. Really struggled in the bubble. Um, ha- was people were very down on him and the way that he's played. Like there's there's not many NBA players who have had a better stretch than he has over the last four to six weeks. And he really looked like he was going to kind of compete for one of those reserve spots in the All Star game. He might be in the All NBA conversation um, at the end of the year. That's not saying that he'll make one of those teams, but like the way that he's playing right now, um, he's going to be in that conversation. And then Scotty Barnes, what he's been able to do right off the bat. Um, it, it is kind of funny to think that the Raptors choosing him was a surprise to many on draft night, myself included. I was shocked that they did it, um, but he's just fit in perfectly with them. And he's been so much better than I think anyone could have expected. Gary Trent Jr., the season that he's having, um, he, he's been fantastic for them. And more than anything, like there's just not a team in the league that's playing the way that the Raptors are right now. Like they, they, they play a huge chunk of games without a traditional center. They basically just have a bunch of six, eight guys and Fred Van Vliet, who's, who's six foot, I feel like, on a good day. Um, they, they, they switch a ton defensively. Anyone who grabs the ball basically pushes the end of the other end of the court. Um, they doubled down on this, by the way, by getting Thaddeus Young 
at the trade deadline that they basically gave up Goran Dragic, who hasn't been playing for them at all for him. Um, But getting another six, eight guy with long arms who can defend multiple positions, handle the ball, pass, um, put pressure on teams at the rim. Like they're going all in on kind of playing this funky basketball um, that's kind of working. And look, who knows how much longer they can do this. It feels like at some point they're going to need more of a a traditional center. Um, But just what they're doing right now, Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches in the league he does some of the craziest stuff like football plays um at, at the end of at the end of quarters that they're, they're just they're, they're so unique and i feel like if people aren't watching them they should tune into them on more on a nightly basis um because they are a fun watch and they've been playing some great basketball lately yeah the this might be some hangover from cleveland having spent some time there normally when you spend some time longer than three days in in the in the market uh you know in a basketball market you kind of get a sense for how you know the fans are you know receptive to their team, the the, the how they're feeling about them, um, even the local beat writers, how they're feeling about the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I think a little bit that has that of that has rubbed off on me. Uh, and I think they're uh, one storyline that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, or at least enough. They're sitting in fourth in the Eastern Conference, um, and they're two and a half games out of first place. By the way, uh, by according to the Tankathon, which is based on strength the schedule, the strength of schedule is based on win loss record. Um, you know they have one of the easiest schedules remaining in the NBA. They have 24 games. Um, they they know who their rotation is. They know who they are. Uh, sometimes when you have um, you know guys that attend All Star Weekend and feel you know a Jared Allen, a, you know Darius Garland, who um, you know both deserving All Stars, but you know it, it, I think it's a surprise to the to the general public that some of those guys made it. You just talked about Fred VanVleet. I think a surprise to the general public those guys made it. And it feels like, you know, some of these things aren't like the other. But when you spend a weekend around all of that NBA talent, it sort of rubs off on you. And and I think for a Jared Allen and a Darius Garland um, and even Fred Van Vliet to a certain extent, you sort of feel like, OK, I, I do belong in the conversation. You come back with a certain level of confidence to your team. And I think that's going to happen with Garland and, and uh, Jared Allen. Uh, and, and Evan Mobley is, is terrific as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Evan Mobley spent the whole weekend, you know, hearing how great he was. Uh, and and it maybe I don't think he knows how great he is. Like, I think maybe some of that has been confirmed and could come back with, a, you know, a, a more, ch- you know, an extra chip on his shoulder that will force him to, you know, be a clear cut rookie of the year winner this year. Um, and, you know, this is a great defensive team. We know what they're, what they're going to do defensively. Um, and, and, you know, offensively, um, they figure things out, you know, and uh, great road team for a team to be this young, to, to be, you know, uh, as good as they are on the road says a lot. Uh, about their preparation, their attention to detail, and and you know if they keep winning, I'll, I know a lot of people are going to make the comparison like, hey, this is you know last year's Knicks and everything else. I don't think they'll win a playoff series. You know, I think they you know if they if they played if this playoff started today, they would play the Milwaukee Bucks. That's that feels like a gentleman sweep waiting to happen, right? Like the the Bucks should run through them. But what that does now is it it sets up a situation where. One of the teams underneath them are going to have to go up against a tougher matchup, and um, it just throws a wrench into the Eastern Conference playoff race that I don't think many people are uh, see coming. Like if the Cavs end up in the top two, you know, of the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference, it, not only are they going to be you know um, you know ruining uh, an opportunity for a team to get home field advantage in the second round of the playoffs, but they have the opportunity to 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 really um, you know force a championship or an Eastern Conference levels uh, finals level matchup in the first round. It, you know, if if they were to jump the Sixers right now, Sixers Bucks in the first round could be happening. And by the way, the, all those three teams, Sixers, Cavs, and the Bucks, are tied uh, in in the standing. So it's it's very possible that we could see Sixers Bucks in the first round. Um, you know, when you talk about the Nets and. Uh, and, and the Raptors and even the Celtics, like one of those three three teams are going to be on the road in the first round of the playoffs. And that's going to be because if the Cavaliers continue to win and, and, and do what they're doing, who's going to slide out of that top four spot? And if it's not going to be them, then that means it's it's, it's a road trip for, um, you know, whoever ends up in that four, five, six, seven. So. I, I do think that the Cleveland Cavaliers are very interesting uh, for them to be this young this early with this team uh, to play two bigs or multiple bigs, sometimes even three at the same time mm-hmm. is very interesting to me. Um, and I just don't think a lot of people are talking or enough people are talking about them. And we got a little taste about that this year because the All-Star game was there. But uh, I think, you know, for the rest of the season, they are such they are like they're just like the Joker card just sitting in the deck and, and can really mess things up in the Eastern Conference. 
Yeah, the, the the Cavs are almost like they're, they're like I said, the Raptors. No one's playing quite like them. The Cavs are similar, right? Like you said, yeah. they play two big men in Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, uh, Larry Markin has missed a bunch of time, but they play. He he's been starting games for them as well. Like that's that's three seven footers essentially. Yeah. And going into the season, everyone was like, "How is this going to work?" But it has been. Mm-hmm. Um, look, the, Karis Levert's an interesting addition to this team. They they needed kind of someone else offensively who could kind of put pressure on teams going downhill. Um, next to Darius Garland, especially Kevin Love in particular is having a great season. Like he's in the sixth man of the year conversation. I, I don't, I haven't like sat down and really looked at it. Like Tyler Hero has been the front runner all season long, but Kevin Love has worked has worked his way into that conversation. He's been really great this season. And like you, I I, I don't know kind of what this ceiling this team ceiling is this season, but they are so much fun. They play a great brand of basketball, and their core is so young too. Like Evan Mobley is twenty, Jared Allen's only—it feels like he's been in the league for a while now. At least it does to me. He's only twenty-three. Darius Garland's twenty-two. He was—he was, I feel like, the youngest player in his draft class when he came in, um, and a lot of people were high on his potential. But I don't know if anyone really saw him being this good this soon. Um, like you said, he deserved being an all-star this season. What he means to them offensively, um, the team just falls off a cliff when he's not on the court. So just, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by them down this final stretch of the season, see what they can do in the playoffs for all the reasons you mentioned. But just beyond this season, kind of that they have a great core moving forward, and it's going to be fun to see kind of how they, they add to that uh, to get the most out of it in, in the future. Maybe, yeah. hey, maybe even LeBron will come back. <laughs> After the maybe. way the, the, the weekend went, uh, it doesn't seem like anything can be ruled out. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, and they, they had they had my guy Isaiah Hartenstein, but he's uh you know I think he's I think he's I think he's uh, gonna sit on the bench. And you know I love Isaiah Hartenstein, so I just had to throw that in there. I do know you do, but they hey they just cut Kevin Pangos too, so I know they, they, you got you got to feel a little conflicted. They're breaking my heart, but whatever, whatever. I do think that they're uh, the storyline that everyone not enough people are talking about sitting fourth in the Eastern Conference and and by via uh you know I love this divisions um you know they Ooh, lead your, your favorite. They, my favorite and you know them in Milwaukee are in the same division and they're going to play a bunch of times of course and they hold a tiebreaker over the Bucks. like think about that that if the if season ended today the Bucks would be the road team and, and no one's picking the Cavaliers in that series but the Bucks would be the road team in that in that you know four or five matchup by virtue of you know uh the the season series and and the uh the fact that you know they they could be playing uh um in in the in the standings the the I love the uh, divisional matchups. So you do, we have it. you do. The final stretches we've been saying. I mean, this is what this whole podcast has been about. But it really is going to get crazy. Like there's there's very few games aside from the very top of like the Western Conference. There are just very few games separating what feels like eight to ten teams. Um, the teams that are in eighth, ninth, tenth spot right now. We could do this in a month's time, and it can be completely different. Um, it, it's just going to be a really fun final stretch. I think the playoffs in particular are going to be incredible because it, it does feel like it's almost anyone's game this season, especially now with, with Chris Paul potentially missing two months. Like the Suns have been by far and away the best team, but like their best player arguably is now going to miss a big chunk of time. How does that impact the title race? Like it, I, I feel like this is going to be a very good end to the season. I agree. I agree. Who says the regular season doesn't matter? This is, hey. uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're laughing in your face right now. Uh, all right. That's all we have for you this week. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's NBA Sound System. And if you haven't rated and review, uh, please rate and review. It's free of charge. It doesn't cost you anything, but it does us a ton. Uh, and it's a good favor to, to help us out and continue to get into more ears uh, around the world. So for Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gay. Uh, Enjoy the return of basketball coming up on Thursday. We will see you next Tuesday, same time, same channel. This has been NBA Sound System.